What's going on? Everybody. You've got the cardboard coach here with your boy, Coach Co. And team, today we have a very special guest on the podcast today. We've got Ezra Levine, a.k.a. the CEO of Mascot. How are you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm excited to be here. I'm happy to have you, uh, especially because you have recently partnered with my card post. And as you know, people are tuning into this channel. My card post is a sponsor of this channel. And uh, Mark is, I mean, I've definitely spent some good amount of time talking to Mark. Mark's good people. And so, you know, if you're good with Mark, then you're good with me for the most part. So happy to get to know you and get to know Mascot. And uh, yeah, man, appreciate you coming. Yeah, well, we're we're excited about the uh, you know the the arrangement with with my card post and Mark. I got to know Mark a little bit. Um, it was I would say pre-national, and then we connected in person at the national, and he explained his vision. I explained my vision, and we said, you know what, I think there's there's you know real natural tie in here. So we're excited to formally announce that a couple of days ago, and now the process of integrating the platforms really begins, which luckily is not my job to do, but uh, <laughs> yeah. We are uh, we we are excited to um, you know to, to really bring my card post, which really is a sort of a, a different type of marketplace. You know, yeah. we're really excited about it to have you know not only ability to kind of list items just for essentially buy now, but also to be able to and we have inventory to be able to trade inventory. Right, I think that's going to open up a whole different component for mascot. And I think you know for my card post, it could be you know a really natural tie-in to get additional inventory on the platform. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about mascot before we get into what your role is and what your other roles have been and just kind of like collecting the space since we're on the topic yeah you got it so mascot is a is a fairly new product uh we we officially rolled it out uh, around the national time mascot essentially does two things and two things really well uh it is the leading inventory management solution specifically designed for collectibles and it is the fastest way to list items for sale across multiple marketplaces simultaneously on the inventory management side, we've partnered with uh, most, if not all, of the, the major grading companies, PSA, SGC, Beckett, CGC, and TAG. So we have essentially any data that is stored by those grading companies will automatically be recognized and pulled in uh, with Mascot, which makes sort of keeping track of all your inventory and the ultimate listing your inventory for sale a, a very seamless experience. And then on the omni-channel, multi-sales channel approach, essentially you can create one listing on mascot and broadcast it out to various marketplaces simultaneously you could you know put different prices on different marketplaces all in one click of the button if it sells on one marketplace uh, our technology will automatically remove the listings from all the other platforms so essentially eliminating any any risk of double sales and uh, it's been it's been a really exciting journey we've you know we've been getting a lot of signups a lot of inventory at the door and we're starting to see you know real transactional uh, volume uh, flow through and you know, the feedback I keep hearing is, you know, essentially what used to take days or hours for people to do, now they can do in seconds or minutes with Mascot. And I think time obviously is a very precious commodity for everyone. And, you know, tools that really kind of streamline and make the industry more efficient, I think, uh, are incredibly important. And I think Mascot's going to be, you know, a really big part of that. Wow, that's incredible, actually. Uh, so you're actually able to... So let me ask something really quickly, actually, before we dive into that. So if I were to grade cards with PSA... Do you see yourself or do you see Mascot eventually getting to the point where you can port that PSA membership like and that would directly translate to your profile? And like once those cards are graded, 
uh, all of a sudden they would essentially show up in your inventory and you'd be able to list almost instantly, especially with the, the, the scans. At least in that case, that's what I'm referring to. It's like you're, you're, you're in our product roadmap meetings here. So, but yeah, so you can, you can do that right now, right? So really, right now, well, when, when, you know, when you get the certs back from the grading company, essentially you can just copy and paste all the certs, put it into mascot. For and sure. we'll, we'll instantly read that. Uh, we yeah. are looking for ways to kind of, you know, even further integrate it. Yeah. You know, obviously you can export, you know, a spreadsheet you know, full of all of your inventory on the PSA set registry and boom, instantly upload that to mascot. Um, or we're in discussions with a bunch of different grading companies around, even integrating mascot further, I think, you know, for the most part, grading companies, uh, you know, really want to remain agnostic as to where items are ultimately going for sale. I think yeah. they recognize that, you know, something like 40 to 60% of graded inventory actually, you know, hits some secondary market within a matter of a couple months. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're all, they're all really kind of laser focused on, Hey, look, if we look at secondary market velocity and secondary market, essentially respect, you know, of, of the grading company, you know, that really is sort of like a lead gen driver, for people continuing to submit items to the grading companies. So I think a lot of grading companies are focused on secondary market vol volume and secondary market efficiency. And Mascot really gives people the ability to you know, list items across multiple platforms uh, in a very Switzerland kind of agnostic type way really quickly and efficiently. I find it fascinating that that based on, you know, if, if your inventory sells on one platform, it's actually able to just remove it from your profile altogether. I feel like that, would, that definitely eliminates a lot of issues when you know, listing on multiple platforms. Does the does Mascot include places like Facebook Marketplace? We, we have a Shopify integration. So through Shopify, you are able to put it on Facebook Marketplace, Instagram. Uh, I never want to call Twitter X, but uh, I, Twitter I, just can't, as well. I can't. I can't do yeah. it yet. Yeah, me neither. Amazon is another viable channel. We have eBay integrated. We have uh, MySlabs integrated. We have five or six other marketplaces that are in the process of integrating, including my, my card post, which obviously we're very excited about. So, you know, our vision is to have as many integrations as possible with as many secondary market channels and, you know, really to kind of make Mascot essentially a central operating system, a central hub where you can kind of run your business, run your collection, run, you know, whatever type of participant you are, just kind of run it through Mascot. I think it, it'll save people a lot of time and probably a lot of money also. And so when you say upload certain numbers, does that, would it auto-populate the photos from those certain numbers or, or you would have to manually uh, include photos as well? Uh, it really depends on, on which grading company it is. Obviously some grading companies store, you know, high res, almost stock images of the item. If, yep. if the images are stored by the grading company, it'll automatically pull into mascot. Really? Yeah. Some, some grading companies like Beckett, I, I wish yeah, I, I wish they did, for instance, they, they, they do not store images. So if you upload a Beckett cert, you'll get, everything else besides the actual image. You know, I think I think more and more grading companies will uh, store images and have them. So obviously this, you know, for newer, more modern stuff or things that are recently graded, uh, we, we will have high-res images, which obviously saves people time in, in scanning. And obviously, you know, as we know, across all secondary market channels, the quality of the image is, you know, a real factor in whether or not yeah. you know, the item gets sold and how desirable it appears. And so, you know, we, we think we can really help uh, almost optimize people's listings across secondary channels. So is this strictly for authenticated uh, items at that present moment in time? No, it's actually not. So you, we can do a raw items as well. The easiest way to do it uh, for raw is if you have your items ready in a spreadsheet, just drag and drop that spreadsheet on over and everything in your spreadsheet will essentially, you know, kind of take onto mascot. Or, you know, if you want to do it sort of on a one-off basis, you can enter each one manually and just enter in all the, all the details there. But yeah, it's for it's for it's for raw and graded. Excellent, that's awesome. So this is your second go at 
uh, a CEO's position in in the collectible space. Correct? Am I wrong? Is there a third one? You are. You are correct. Fantastic. And so the first one was collectible. Uh, collectible was recently purchased, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Correct. Uh, talk to me about that process. Talk to me about, you know, did the first position at collectible, did it better prepare you for, for mascot? Did, what did you learn? I mean, I guess I just asked you like three questions there, but pick one of them and then we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, it was a wild ride at collectible. You know, we, uh, look, we, we had, we had a lot of success I mean, we had, you know, we did over $55 million of securitized collectible transactions. We were involved in a lot of record-breaking sales. We've, you know, created live events in the in the mint collective. Yep. We have a lot of partnerships with eBay and you know, various other companies. We had to get SEC regulated. I mean, there, there was there was a lot of success there, uh, and you know, we, we we did a lot. Obviously, you know, I think unfortunately, fractional ownership uh, really had you know a, a real moment in the sun when when times were good in the market when market you know, was strong and prices were rising. And then unfortunately, when the market, you know, started to, you know, weaken demand really for fractional ownership, unfortunately, kind of came to a, 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 a grounding halt. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, it's not just fractional ownership, too. I mean, you know, the, the, the business model of fractional ownership really was you take, you know, really high value assets, six, seven figure assets, uh, and essentially IPO them almost like a, a company would IPO, you know, here in New York or in the Toronto Stock Exchange. And, you know, there's a lot of regulatory hurdles you have to do to kind of get items, uh, you, know, you know, kind of through, through the market. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the items that we did put out were unfortunately just given the timing of our launch. We're close to peak market. And when prices started to come down, you know, it, it led to a little bit of a, of a negative experience for some people. That's not just, you know, kind of fractionalized collectibles. If you look across you know, the public market space, which is kind of what we're trying to do, right, create almost mm -hmm. like a like a, you know, like a bank. You know, like, you know, like an investment bank for uh, for collectibles. When you look yeah. across the public markets, you know, there's um, there's crazy data, uh, which is essentially that you know almost 80 percent of public market IPOs starting just about the same time collectible did. 80 uh, percent of you know real company IPOs were down uh, close to 50 percent or more you know, over the same time period. So this wasn't just a fractional collectible story. This really was sort of a macro story. And uh, you know, I think collectible and and all the other fractional companies really got kind of swept up into that. Yeah, no, for sure. If you could go back and, you know, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently or would you have done anything differently? You know, I mean, you know, I, I really hate to blame it all on macro because there are obviously things I think. No, that's fine. Yeah. But, you know, I, I guess the only thing if I, we had the hindsight back then to, you know, not put out so many modern uh, you know, cards, for instance, for IPO, right? Or yeah. we have hindsight that the market was, you know, close to topping, whether or not forever or just on a short-term basis, I think we would have been a little bit more conservative in both the volume of IPOs, but also the types of stuff that we put out. You know, but the you, market wanted modern at the time though, right? Like well, market wanted modern. I mean, look, anything we put out that was modern, people were gobbling up, you know, at, at, at the prices that were indicated. Um, you know, when you look across, just the various types of items collectible did. We did a whole range of stuff. We did everything from game worn memorabilia to tickets and photography and you know modern and vintage. You name it, we did it. You know, by and large, vintage stuff actually you know did well and continues to do well. You know, unfortunately, we were overweight modern, which seemed to be what really people wanted. But you yeah. know, if you just if you just bought shares in Mantle and Ruth and stuff like that, you've actually done quite well. And Chamberlain was you know almost any Will Chamberlain piece we had. 
you know, was was exited for, I think, over 40, 50 percent return. So really was just, you know, sort of a like an you know, almost like an asset allocation issue where we yeah. just a lot of modern stuff. But that's seemingly what the what the market wanted at that time. And, you know, I think I think a lot of people, including ourselves, were, uh, you know, sort of proven, at least in the short term, to be, um, you know, sort of in, incorrect about that one. I mean, and. I guess that's just kind of what happens when you when you have startups, when you have a vision on something. And again, like you were kind of filling a market need at that time. And I mean, the response, the market doesn't always want that for a, pro a prolonged period of time, right? I guess that's what's kind of difficult, especially in a space where uh, you're fighting with, for so many so much attention, right? Like, I, I guess everywhere now, social media, you're fight, constantly fighting for attention. And so kind of trying to keep that attention is, is quite difficult, especially when it comes to, I mean, a card or, I mean, if, name me one card that it, people are still somewhat like, this is a great, I mean, look at Luca. Luca was in 2021. That was the, the God's son, you know, directly, directly related. And uh, I mean, even his stuff is cool. So it, it's, it's very, very interesting to kind of see from a hindsight, hindsight perspective. Yeah, welcome. I, I think I think that's right. I mean, yeah, it it, it was also wasn't just fractional, wasn't just public market IPOs. I, mean, I think anyone who who bought cards probably in late 2020, 21, 20, you know, probably early 22, probably have a fairly similar experience in their own PC or you know, if they're dealing or putting things on auction. I mean, you know, I, the, the high end, specifically on the modern side, high end has come down a great deal. And and that's exactly what what fractional saw. That's why you be you buy hockey. <laughs> we, we did always joke hockey seemed to be you know one of the categories that uh you know even modern you know seem, seems to really have, have kind of held up better than the rest yeah say. yeah i mean we're pretty stable over here <laughs> talk to me so this is the second time you're in this space in a, in a, a role like this why the collectible space does it have a you know special place in your heart yeah, I mean, I, I I do love this space. You know, it's funny. I, I was a collector growing up. Um, I, I really got into the into the hobby because my dad. My, my dad's a big collector, and uh, you know, still still is a big collector. And I remember growing up, you know, he would he would always go to the national. I think he's been to 20, 28, 29 nationals. What? So go every summer with three or four of his closest friends. We're all hobbyists, and uh, you know, I didn't really know what the national meant when I was a kid. But I just remember every year around the end of July, my dad would go away with three or four guys who I never met to Chicago or to Cincinnati or to, or to, to excuse me, to Cleveland. Like yeah. you would always go to, you know, the, this, this show. And uh, I didn't really know what it meant, but, you know, it was really his passion for, for it really kind of kept me involved. Um, you know, I went to college and kind of lost interest a little bit in the hobby and I worked in finance for a bit. I had another entrepreneur experience prior to coming to collectibles industry where I actually founded a minor league football league and we sold that to, to Fox sports and that actually became the, the USFL. So people who are, were into football and, you know, like, the USFL that was actually, you know, the, the operating model for that was something that we created and we actually purchased the IP of the USFL out of bankruptcy and kind of packed it together, sold to Fox Sports. And so it was sort of after that experience, you know, I said, I was talking to my dad and he's like, look, you clearly like being an entrepreneur. You clearly like, you know, that more than you like kind of analyzing other businesses. You should take a look at the hobby. And, uh, and that's actually kind of where I dove in started making relationships and just trying to figure out all my place in it. And, uh, you know, I had, a finance background, the capital markets background. And, you know, I heard about this thing called fractional ownership. And I had a, again, I had a finance background. So kind of marrying collectibles and finance made, you know, sort of a lot of sense. Yeah. And uh, it was a great experience and, you know, it allowed me to make a lot of relationships and connections and understand the, the industry really well. And, uh, you know, when, when 
kind of I was presented with a couple of other opportunities. You know, this opportunity to me felt like something that was incredibly scalable and everyone has a need for it. Everyone has a need for an inventory management tool. Everyone has an inventory. Everyone's a lot of it. You know, this obviously is a unique industry where everything's essentially its own unique skew, its own yeah. unique item, and you have to manage it. Uh, and, um, you know, the number, and we look at how many people are selling on eBay and other secondary market channels. You know, eBay has 17 million unique sellers on eBay. Right? So people need tools that, you know, help automate, help make more efficient, help speed up that journey. Uh, and then obviously, when you look across the marketplace uh, space, there's a lot of marketplaces, a lot of marketplaces, right? And so how do you, how do you keep track of, of them all? How do you, you know, kind of aggregate them all? There's new marketplaces that are forming by the day, but you know, some huge, huge companies, DraftKings, TikTok, right? Yeah. These are places that have barely really kind of scratched the surface within our industry that will only continue to get more and more prevalent. So, you know, we need a tool like Mascot. We need something that can really, you know, kind of sit at the center of it all and allow people to distribute inventory and to manage their inventory in uh, really creative and efficient ways. Do shipping labels get produced like through Mascot as well or? Not, not yet. We, we actually have, uh, we negotiated a deal uh, with, with the, the shipping companies. So we can and probably will at some point uh, allow people to kind of print shipping labels and likely given, you know, kind of the, the, the terms we've negotiated are likely ch cheaper for them to use mascots versus kind of using their own. We haven't integrated that yet. As of right now, you know, I think most marketplaces produce, you know, a label if you sell it on a secondary market channel. Obviously, yeah. if you privately, you're, you're kind of, you know, using your own terms. So it is something that we're, we're probably going to build into the platform shortly that my brain just like that's fantastic what uh who has been the i mean i'm sure you've met a lot of people in the space over the course of the last three four years yeah who has been the person that you can lean on the most in the space oh that, that's a, a tough one I, I guess my answer would be sort of dependent based on you know kind of what like advice what you, yeah what you need i need you know what but I, I will say you know there's um you know, I, I wound up joining Mascot as a result of, you know, a very close relationship with, with one of the founders here. And, um, you know, they're incredible entrepreneurs who are who, who essentially launched uh, Mascot and, you know, they, they hired me to, to, to run it. But so it was really through a relationship there with someone who I consider to be a very close mentor uh, and a huge hobbyist who's involved in some massive, massive transactions who really kind of showed, showed me the vision of what Mascot could be. Uh, they actually had a similar business in a different industry. And, you know, it, was, it, was it was massively successful and they said, hey, there's no reason why this can't work in our industry as well. So uh, I, I, I can go on and on. There's a lot of people who I've met, a lot of people who I consider very close friends and confidants. It would just probably depends on what type of advice I'm looking for. That's awesome. So we, you, we just came back from the National a few months back. Um, you were present at the National? I was there. We, awesome. I was there. We were there. We, it was our, really the first launch of Mascot. We had a, a booth in the corporate section. All the, way, all the way by the fudge station. So if you wanted fudge, you'd go all the way to the <laughs> corner of the corporate section. We were having to be right next to the fudge. <laughs> the fudge did, did, did bring a lot of foot traffic. I was like, that was probably there deliberately. You know, that was, it was all, it's all play. Talk to me about your experience at the National um, and over the course of the last few years, especially it being such a you know prominent place for your father. Was Has he, has he seen you at the National? Yeah, every year I've, I so th this was my third national. He's been at all three. It's really fun. You know, he he goes with his own buddies. I'm, I'm usually in some working capacity, but he stops by my booth. I make sure to get you know kind of deck him out and all all merchandise. So he's a little bit of a walking billboard for us. That's funny. And it's cool. You know, it's honestly it's it's one of the things that I like most about this industry. I'm speaking you know from personal of course uh, experience. It's just like it really has uh, deepened my ties with my father and my dad. 
uh, who, who loves this space. And I think, you know, his love uh, has almost become my love. And um, it, it's, it's, it's definitely special to kind of have that bond there. You know, for, for the national, it's, it's just crazy how much it continues to grow every year. Even, you know, I remember when I went, you know, the first time the market was really strong. Second time the market was really strong. Third time this year, the market was a little soft. And it was, I was very curious to see, you know, how that was going to impact things. And, you know, obviously when you're talking about record attendance and, you know, needing all that, you know, floor space and, you know, corporates and, you know, showing up in you know, unprecedented size. But I think that gives people a lot of confidence for, for the future of this industry. I think the national will only get better, only get more creative. Obviously next year in Cleveland, a little bit of a different, you know, kind of space layout, yeah, a, little, yeah. a little bit smaller. I think that's going to be interesting. But, uh, and then also, you know, just the proliferation of other shows that are coming. We, we, we founded a show at Collectible with IMG. Mint, the, the, the Mint Collective was really a brainchild of, of collectibles. And then we partnered up with IMG to really bring that to the market. And now, you know, through, through the success of the Mint Collective, Fanatics and IMG are partnering up to kind of create a whole live event series. So, you know, it's just it's amazing to see how many you know new uh, card shows and you know hobby shows are coming. I was just at Burbank, right? That's a fairly new show, but yep. I think they've done two or three of them. That was huge. I think that was his third. Third, yeah. yeah. So you know, just the, the the amount of kind of creativity and ingenuity and the amount of people who are trying to advance the industry forward. Get, you know, it gives me a lot of confidence in spite of sort of a the down market and pricing activity has really remained strong. I think that's a sign of a really good, healthy, strong market. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. Uh, you know, when we stop talking so much about prices being up or down, I, if we look at the actual number of participants, uh, and especially, you know, in the case of these shows, the national, for instance, I, I, they're saying record numbers. At, we Here in Toronto, we have the Toronto Expo and, we have the pleasure of having one every six months and it seems like every six months it's like a, it's a new attendance record. And I have people personally reach out to me who there's just always something new that they're adding. I mean, this one upcoming, we've got like Mike Tyson and uh, Ric Flair, which are arguably two of the biggest names that we've ever had at, at a national or at, at an expo. And I've had people personally reach out to me who have nothing to do with uh, like the sports cards and the sports collectible space, and they're like, "Dude, like, can you get me tickets for the expo? Like, I want to, I want to meet Ric Flair. I want to meet uh, Mike Tyson." So I just think, I mean, to your point, I think the ability for the space to integrate new members who are interested at some capacity, whether that's through Magic the Gathering or through Yu-Gi-Oh or through boxing, and there's just if it's not a card set, there's like an autograph signee or there's a live event. There's just so many different instances where we're pulling people in. And uh, I, I think as the space, once you're here, it's like, it's fairly enjoyable. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. You know, it'll, it'll, it will be interesting to see as obviously fanatics is, you know, is, uh, is, is, is coming to this industry in a, in a very big way. They're obviously here already, but you know, in the live events, their, their relationships with athletes and leagues and teams, I think that could be, you know, a really interesting driver. Obviously, people, you know, you, you see at the National, right, with, with, with the autograph pavilion, how many people line up just to meet, you know, these uh, Hall of Famers or even active athletes. I mean, I, pe people want, you know, some degree of involvement with sports. Every, you know, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people love sports. And, uh, you know, and you know, it, it's, a, it's a real big draw forward. And when you think about the collectibles market, it's really just a derivative of sports, right? How can, you know, the average person really, you know, kind of get involved with sports? And, and I think collectibles are, 
you know, a really, a really cool way to do that. So I'm, 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 I'm excited about the space. You know, I, I've said it a bunch of times elsewhere publicly, but when you just look at how many people identify as a collector versus how many people there are who like sports, it's a very, very, very small percentage. And so everyone keeps saying, well, how do we 10x the hobby? Well, the truth is, you know, it wouldn't take that much when you just kind of think about the demographics of it. There's something like a million to two million collectors who identify um, one million to two million people identify as a collector out of, you know, a base of four to five hundred million, you know, people who participate in fantasy sports and sports gambling, which is also another derivative way to really kind of get involved with sports. So that, 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 that gap to me feels uh, very closable. I don't think it might not have the same mainstream popularity as gambling and, and fantasy just because of how, you know, how instantaneous that is. Collectibles yeah. are, are not that. But I think, you know, getting the number up to 10 million, 20 million to me feels feels achievable, certainly. How does how does that get achieved, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that that to me is is the big question, right? I mean, I do think, you know, kind of having, um, well, you know, I, I think it all starts with product, right? All, all, all sorts of product. And then and then from product really becomes how, how do you distribute that product in really creative ways? Or right? how do you raise awareness, uh, you know, for the industry? Obviously, you know, I think fanatics having the, these relationships with the teams and leagues, I think could be a, a fairly massive driver for it. Now athletes for the first, really for the first time, yeah. are really incentivized to promote the industry. You're seeing things like what Tops is doing, right? With, you know, with the rookie game worn patches and you know, there was an announcement uh, which seemed almost quiet in the last couple of days about, you know, even NFL rookies wearing a patch. People are speculating that those NFL patches, rookie patches will be, you know, essentially inserted into, into football trading product. I and mean, I think things like that are really interesting. You're starting to see, you know, kind of a crossover between, you know, even a deal SEC announced, which is they're doing a, a sponsorship partnership deal with the Dolphins, yeah. right? Kind of intertwining, uh, almost in the same way that fantasy sports and sports gambling have, right? Intertwining collectibles, sports collectibles, with where the average sports fan is, you know, has proven to be a recipe for success. It wasn't long ago uh, when you know all these sports networks, ESPN being a prominent one, was saying we won't we won't touch gambling in any gambling. capacity. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, you know, pretty much every show on on ESPN you now has gambling lines at the bottom of it. I think ESPN even just partnered up with a, with a sports book, right? So now they're going to be offering their own gambling. So you're st- you're seeing sort of the crossover of of other categories and you know kind of meeting the the, the, the sports consumer, sports fan where they are. And I think if we follow a similar playbook with collectibles, I don't I don't think it'll take too long. I mean, I couldn't agree with more. You even see like uh, free parlays sometimes on on you know at the end of like a a, a gambling segment on like it, however short it might be uh, on during a broadcast, but there's like. Uh, here's my parlay of the week or parlay of the weekend. And and I'm like, I, I just remember distinctly, you know, a few years back where uh, gambling was like bastardized on, on some of these programs. Right. Talk to yeah, me. So- go for it. Go. No, no, you're right. Yeah. It was, it was completely bastardized and now, now it's completely widely accepted and they're seeing that that brings eyeballs and attention. And it's a way for people to not just consume sports, but to participate in sports. And I think this is another avenue where people can do that. I couldn't agree more. How do you, if you had to, uh, there was a genie, you know, <laughs> with <laughs> where is mascot in the next three years? Tough question. You know, look, I mean, I think, I think when people get on the platform and they start using it, they will see that um, it makes their lives a lot easier. It makes running their businesses a lot easier. It makes keeping track of inventory a lot easier. Uh, it makes selling inventory a lot easier. And I think there's so many applications for 
just about every type of market participant, including the, the marketplaces, including the grading companies. And I think you're going to see Mascot uh, integrated in very creative ways. Our hope is that Mascot becomes essentially what similar products in other industries have become, which is the operating hub. And it feels a little cliche to say that. I know other companies kind of use a similar tagline, but you know, the people who are using Mascot, uh, we hear from them every day that, holy crap, this has made my life so much easier and I can't even remember kind of hobbying without Mascot. So, you know, I think just, you know, just widespread, you know, sort of widespread distribution adoption uh, in very creative ways, everything integrated into one. Um, and essentially people just running their, their hobby experience, their business uh, through Mascot and Mascot really being sort of embedded into uh, a lot of companies that have widespread you know, sort of distribution eyeballs already to help streamline their experiences. We're talking about grading companies, marketplaces, right? I mean, th those are the types of, of areas where obviously a lot of inventory and concentration of inventory flow through on a daily basis. And I think Mascot has a lot of applications for things like that. What are some of the challenges you're experiencing right now with Mascot? It's technology, you know, and it's new. And, uh, you know, this industry doesn't always take uh, take well or kind of spend the time to understand new technologies and, you know, new, new ways of doing things. People, even if their processes are not always efficient or the way they want them to be, they have a process already. And yeah. kind of the, 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 the switching costs of doing something new, just in terms of having, getting it set up and understanding how it works, sometimes are high. You know, from our experience, when we put the product in front of people and and they start using it, they love it, right? But you know, oftentimes getting people to adopt anything new, especially when it's technology in an industry that you know isn't always the most kind of technologically savvy or willing to adopt new technologies, I would say just you know that that's that's the biggest challenge. Or we're very confident in the product and know that people who are using it love it, and it's really just a matter of kind of continuing to get the word out, continuing to integrate mascot in creative ways, putting it in front of the right people. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I do expect that once people really try it, they're going to love it. Is it strictly a website now? Do you have an app? Uh, is there an app in the future? Is there? So it's, uh, it, uh, we started out strictly as a desktop website. Actually, over the last week, we've uh, rolled out a much, a really good, actually, I wouldn't say better, a really good uh, kind of a website, a mobile website. So if you go to the website on mobile, you've got the same functionality. We do not have a mobile app yet. We are building one out. Okay. Always hate to put specific timelines around new know. products and a new tip, but I would say by, by the end of this year, I, I would anticipate having a mobile app ready. But again, you know, it's uh, I think everyone's very conditioned to kind of look for apps on their phone. If you just go on your on your phone, type in a website you know, with mascot.com, and you, you you can use it that way. And it has essentially all the same functionality that our our, our mobile app will have in a couple of months. Yeah, I just think uh, a lot of people do business on the go these days. And it's it just like having a website versus an app sometimes is the difference maker. And I'm not saying that there's, you know, any reason not to check out Mascot. You know, for everything from what I've heard from others and what I've heard from you has been all great stuff. But in terms of like having that mainstream integration, having people you know, go one step less in order to acquire it. As ironic as that sounds like it's the same shit. You still have to go to a website versus an app store. It's like, well, for some reason, the app store just makes it so much more instantaneous. And, you know, you can connect it directly into your Google. There's no, like, you don't have to autofill anything, right? So I think um, that's definitely going to help as well. In terms of like, is there anywhere that people can go for like a tutorial on how to use Mascot? 
Yeah, that, that's a so that's a really good question. So we're we're building all those out. We've done so many deployments and enhancements to the product. We've really been building this. I mean, it feels like every day you know, we're, yeah. we're we're releasing new new feature features. So we haven't really done that because so many things are changing and have been updated. We are in the process of doing a bunch of tutorials now, which will really educate people on, on how to use the product. I, I do suspect that helps. And yeah, look to 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 your point. Uh, even though the mobile web experience will be pretty much the same thing the as same. the mobile app experience. Yeah. People are very conditioned to just want to go to their app store and download an app, and uh, we're, we fully recognize that. We're aware of it, and that's and that's really why we're, we're building the app, even though again, pretty much it's the same the same, thing. <laughs> same thing. I know. I don't know what it is. I, I mean, it happens to me too, where I'm like, I don't. Ha I have to deliberately keep a, a tab open on my phone um, if I'm using like a website, and just so I don't forget. But the apps are just all kind of there. It's very easy to click into. I think it's just a visual thing for me personally. For sure, agree. Yeah. No, but that being said, if you have a spreadsheet, I mean, it's kind of hard to do that through a phone. So if we're talking like a scalable, like a bit like a larger scale business, I mean, they would probably have no problem using Mascot on a desktop as it was designed. Yeah. If you sort of segment our user base and we have all different types of users. Yeah. I would, like the enterprise type clients, the people who are running their hobby related businesses who sit in front of a computer all day long are very comfortable with desktop product. If you're a collector who's at a show or you're on the go, I think you know the, the the consumers, the collectors are more are more uh, interested in in, in in the in, in the mobile app experience, and yeah. as a result of how many use cases we have and how many different types of people who are using it, we want to make sure that we'll we'll have a good experience no matter what. You're right. If you're someone who's you know, loading in a lot of inventory, chances are they'll probably do that on their computer. For but sure. if you're at a show and you want to just you know you buy something, you want to list it quickly, and or, or you know you you have something listed on eBay and MySlabs and you know, my card posts on other sites, but you happen to sell it at a show, you want to make sure you, you quickly, you know, sort of take it off all the secondary market channels. We want to make yeah. sure that we have a really good mobile uh, app version for people who are on the go, not running kind of enterprise businesses directly from their computers. Yeah. I mean, the use cases for the, for this app is, or this website, we're going to call it a website so people don't get excited about the app just yet. But <laughs> The uh, for this for for mascot, I mean, there are so many use cases, right? Like just as you mentioned, imagine making a deal on the go and being able to swiftly pull that off of every marketplace, and you don't have to worry about going individually. I mean, because that that actually happened to me a few days ago, where no one bought it, but I made sure that you know the first thing I do every time I sell something um, is pull it off every marketplace, right? And that that probably doesn't take a, a crazy amount of time, but occasionally you miss it and you know, you, that's that's what you want to prevent from happening. So I, I definitely see there being use cases on the go. I see there being use cases at home. I see there being use cases for the everyday collector, as well as, as you mentioned, companies in the space. Uh, Ezra, if you wanted everyone to know one thing about Mascot, they're the, like the last thing, you know, your elevator pitch on Mascot, what is it? And then, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so it's it's two things. It is a really great inventory management solution. So you can keep track of your entire inventory, your entire collection, all in one centralized place. Uh, it'll make keeping track of your inventory so much easier. Just trust me on that, try it out. And then two, if you are selling across multiple secondary market channels, or even if you just sell on eBay, for instance, uh, this is you know, the easiest and fastest way to get uh, listings up on those secondary market platforms. If you're doing multi-sales uh, channel selling already, this will save you a lot of time. Just create one listing on Mascot, blast it out to as many marketplaces as you can. And thirdly, the product is free. So it is a free product. There's no subscription. There's no transaction fees. We we make our money from various commercial 
vendors. So for, you know, for businesses and for individual hobbyists and collectors, the product is completely free. And so it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a really good value. Sounds like it. Ezra, if someone wanted to contact you about potentially adding mascot to their mascot to their marketplace or maybe integrating it into their business and you know the tutorials aren't live yet but they're very interested in, in using uh where can they contact you and where can they find out more about mascot yeah if you want to reach out to me directly it's ezra at with mascot.com so e-z-r-a at with mascot.com uh, you could also reach out to our support team who's always very responsive support at with mascot uh, on every social media platform, we're at with mascot, so it makes it easy to find us at with mascot across all socials. Amazing, Ezra. Thanks for joining me today, and uh, team. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode featuring Cardboard Coach and Ezra. Have a wonderful rest of your day. We are out of here. <laughs>